we laugh about this. But the reality is, is somehow we believe that Jesus is just our best buddy. He's the one we spend most of the time with, but we have all these other people in our life or things in our life. We've somehow believed the lie that I can have other loves and Jesus can be my bestie. See, it must be Him predominantly. This morning you probably said, Greg, there's other churches. I know, I know there's other churches that will tell you this morning that you know what, you can have Jesus and He'll just come along for the ride with you on your life. But the reality is, is that it's not okay. He is not just another person in this, in the mix. He's not just another thing in the mix. He has got to be the number one thing. Every other relationship should pale in comparison. Every other activity shouldn't even be in the same conversation. Not even in the same zip code. See, I believe that the Holy Spirit this morning is calling us all to a deeper place with Him. He's calling us into a place where we've never been before. Maybe this morning the journey is going to take us to the place where we have to go. We have to step out from where we've been even and maybe the comfortable place that we've been and say, you know what, I've got to go deeper with God. The truth is it's very easy to find ourselves adrift. There is constant observation, constant vigilance is necessary to keep ourselves on course. If I'm not preoccupied with Him, I will be cons- if I'm not consumed by Him, the enemy by default will set my affections adrift. I will naturally be preoccupied with self, money, fame, family, work, entertainment. These are the mistresses that want to lure us from Christ continually. The most dangerous thing is that we will keep Jesus in the mix and feel good about it, but not realizing that this is not how He designed it. He's not just another person. He's not just another thing in our life. He must be the preeminent, top of the chain. He must be everything to us. How does this happen? The problem is is that we are leaky. We have spiritual amnesia. The default position will always drag us backwards. The contrary wind that wants to continually push us in the other direction. But I want you this morning to use that contrary wind not to push you back, but to set you to flight. I want you to know this morning as Christians, we were designed to fly spiritually. Evaluate your passion for God as it stands right now. Where would it be on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being cold, 5 being lukewarm, and 10 being hot? How would you rate it? Is it trending up, down, or about the same? I'm going to begin with a a video of Francis Chan. He goes through a chapter in his book, Crazy Love, and and he goes through this, and I'm going to systematically, I've divided it up into sections, and we'll start with this first one. Chapter 4, Profile of the Lukewarm. It is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity.
kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44. In this account, the man joyfully sold all that he had so that he could obtain the one thing that mattered. He knew that what he had stumbled upon, the kingdom of heaven, was more valuable than anything he had, so he went for it with everything in him. This kind of enthusiastic response to God's love is entirely appropriate. Would you describe yourself as totally in love with Jesus Christ? Or do the words half-hearted, lukewarm, and partially committed fit better? The Bible says to test ourselves. So in the next section, I'm going to offer you a description of what half-hearted, distracted, partially committed, lukewarm people can look like. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It's what's expected of them. But they believe good Christians do, so they go. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church. They care more about what people think of their actions, like church attendance and giving, than what God thinks of their hearts and lives. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Luke 6, verse 26. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Revelation 3, verse 1. How do you rate this relationship? One piece preacher asked his members, How's your spiritual walk with the Lord? A few said, Good. Others said it could be better. Some days better than others, some would say. And then most said, it's okay. We're satisfied with it. Okay places me firmly in a lukewarm position. Not hot or not cold. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus was speaking through John and he says this, to the angel in the church of Laodicea. I believe you could change that this morning to, to the angel in the church of Springville. Right, these words of, um, and of Amen. The faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The word lukewarm means tepid. It's bath water. It's not cold. It's, it's water that you can get into and feel comfortable with. It's not water that is one or the other. It's right in the middle where it actually feels good. It feels like a place to be. C.S. Lewis said this about Christianity. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately 
important. This morning, I want you to know, in fact, I was thinking about what Albert Einstein said about this. He says, I have no talents, no special talents. I am only passionately curious. I was thinking about that in light of us being passionately curious about God. See, do you have a passionate curiosity of God? Do you, do you constantly think about, do you constantly dwell on, do you want to be next to God? You know, we were at the lake last week, and at the end of the day, I had floated over to another boat, and I talked to some people that were there at the lake. And the people were talking to me, and they were talking to me about some other people that I knew, and they said, hey, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I know those people because they go to church. And they said, man, those people, they know how to party. And I thought to myself, Wow, and he wasn't talking about the kind of partying we did last week. He was talking about the kind of partying that the world does. See, instead of talking about their passion for God, they were talking about how the world looked at them and saw how they could party. What a testimony is that? See, our Christian witness, what does it look like to the world? What's the first thing that they see? What do they see in our lives that they would desire to have? Why? Because most of us love God, but we have other lovers. Just like the video. See, he's called us to be the bride of Christ, but instead, what we have is we have all these loves, all these important things in our lives. And some of them are even good things. They're not wicked, they're not sinful things, but they take up time, they, they remove us from where we need to be with God. Let me make a side note here to you, just as a little sidebar. Be careful what you like on Facebook. See, just this couple weeks ago, somebody had asked me, said, Hey, so-and-so, I saw them, they go to our church, and I saw that they were liking this. And I said, well, I said, I know that person, and I know that they are not associated with those things. But for whatever reason... You, when you like something or you associate yourself with something, you can all of a sudden you can broadcast that to everybody. And it may not be something that you truly want. Because you know what the, the true thing is, is what will we passionately about? What is it that God wants us passionate about? Is Him. What will tell us apart? I'm free in Christ, you say this morning. You are but not at the expense of others. I gave you this scripture a couple weeks back in Romans 14. It says in verse 19, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Let me say it like this. Do not set, do not set it aside for the sake of what you like to do. Drinking. Cussing. Do not... Any of these things. All food is clean, he says, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes another one to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that causes your brother or sister to stumble. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them to yourself and God. Be blessed. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. What's Paul, what's he ultimately saying here? He's saying this, keep your freedom to yourself. 
You maybe have the freedom to do certain things, but it doesn't need to be something that you broadcast. I was thinking about it even this week, a friend of mine who likes to have a social drink. And I'll say, okay, well, there's nothing wrong with having a social drink. Is there, Greg? Well, then I wanted to look at the, the, the circumstances around it. See, he had a social drink with a young man that was a friend of his, but eventually that young man who could not handle his alcohol now is in rehab. Because one could handle it and one couldn't, we say. See, this is to me where our freedom gets in the way of us being a, a, a stumbling block to those around us. Maybe it is okay on one side, but on the other side of it here, if it leads someone astray, the Bible says it's better than a millstone be cast along our neck and we be thrown into the river. So what is it that we're going to do? I would say this, that there's better, like Keith Paul says here, keep your freedom to yourself. The lost, your family members, your friends, those around you, those at the lake last week I was thinking about, those people, every one of them, your freedom is not more important than their salvation. If it is, then you know what? You're in the wrong place. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old one. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10 verse 10. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all of his followers. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, James 1 verse 22. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James 4, verse 17. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people feel uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Whoever acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, verses 32 through 33. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they're nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. Lukewarm people love God, but they do not love Him with all their heart, soul, and strength. 
they'd be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of total devotion isn't really possible for the average person. It's only for pastors and missionaries and radicals. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38. There are things that we like doing. I like riding. I like camping. I like going into the back country. I like to not see anybody for five days. I like to camp. In fact, my camping trip is ruined if I see another person. But that's another story. But all these things that are fun and, and that we enjoy to do in life should pale in comparison to Christ. Let me ask you this question today. People who know you best also know your passions. What would your family, your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors and friends say that you were the most passionate about? See, it was a depressing thought to me that people would remember that I like football or water skiing or horseback riding or country music or rock music or whatever it is we like. If Jesus isn't the first thing that they think about, I must change that. I must have, they must have a different thought pattern. They must know that Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Because if they can't see it, how does He? How do I keep my spiritual temperature high when I'm surrounded by all these cooling influences? People with lukewarm faith have icicles hanging in their souls. You need to surround yourself with passionate people for Christ. This is what the church is supposed to represent. The church is supposed to be passionate, powerful, pure, holy, purposeful place where we can stay connected to Christ. Not passionate about knowledge, but passionate about Him. Looking for like-minded people at school, at work, wherever we are, that we can gather around those people and they can feed that passion into us. Romans 12.11 said it like this, Paul said, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I wanted to look at just a couple words here. He says, never be lacking in zeal. This word zeal is zeo, and it means it's a, it's a word that has a, 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 a actual figurative meaning, like it says, where it actually makes the sound of boiling water. It's a primitive term. It means bubbling over because we're hot enough to boil, to show great zeal, to be ardently passionate, literally boiling with interest or desire, to be deeply committed to something with the implication of an accompanying desire, to be earnest, to set one's heart on, to be completely intent upon it. Does that sound like your relationship to Jesus? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, he says there. And this word means to move quickly, with speed, with swiftness, to show a zealous diligence, to make full effort by making haste. This elevates it from the good to the better. That's what God says in this place. He's saying, listen, I want you to do this. And then he says, never lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor by serving the Lord. And this word here means properly a slave. Having all personal ownership, rights assigned to the owner. A willingness to give over the prerogative of being self-governing. Boy, that's what we were singing about early. When he says, Spirit, lead me. Where you want me to go? When you say, jump, I'll jump. What is it that you want me to do? Never lacking in zeal, Paul told them. But keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Is that look like our relationship to Jesus? 
Because if it does, what's amazing to me is there's a power that's within that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, it says, For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Acacia were already get ready to give, and your enthusiasm, the same word, Zeo. Your enthusiasm has, has stirred up most of them to action. See, when we have that passion in our life, it causes others to desire that. And Paul then, he takes a moment after he, this verse right here. In the next verse, he says this. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. He's saying, listen, he takes this caution. I'm going to send people to make sure that this is what's going on with you, Corinthians. Do we have that kind of zeal in our life? Do we have that kind of fire in our life that people want what we have? Or are we just going through life? Paul goes on to say, in fact, in John, Jesus said about his zeal, they said this. It says in John 2.17, his disciples remembered that it was written. And this was right after he cleared the temple. Zeal for your house will consume me. Same word is used there is in zeal. He wasn't worried about this building as much as he was worried about this relationship with God. In fact, the word zealous is used, but it wasn't the building that he was concerned about because he says here, this, this, this zeal for his house would consume him. It would literally eat all the way down, utterly devour, leaving nothing, ferociously consume him all the way down. Does that characterize your relationship to God? See, my problem was, is as I was going through and I was listening again to Francis Chan in this, in this one chapter, it grabbed my heart once again and said, Greg, are you doing everything I've called you to do? Or are you just existing? Are you getting away with whatever you can, just the bare minimum? Some of you go, well, Greg, I know that you do more than I'm doing. But that doesn't matter because God's got you right in the spot where you're at. And he's saying he's calling you, I believe, the same way he's calling me. He's saying, what, what does that passion look like in you? I'm not saying to stir up passion and emotion just for no reason. I'm just saying have that love for God. That passion for God. That will sustain us through the long haul. Because purpose and passion, those two things have to be together. See, purpose has to do with our head. It means educating us plus thinking right about what God's commands and He expects of us. But passion has to do with our heart. Purpose points us in the right direction to heaven and passion propels us to go there. See, that's what God's asking from us today. Does your passion, does your fervor, does you, with purpose, with the knowledge that you have of the Word of God, in Romans 10.2, it says, For I can testify about them that they are zealous. The same word is used again for God. But their zeal is not based upon knowledge. He's talking about the Jews. See, our, our, we can't just be zealous and be passionate about anything. It has to be focused passion that is based upon what we know of God. Who He is in our lives. That understanding only comes by as we get into the Word. See, a Christian without passion is like a river without water. A Christian without purpose is like a river without banks. 
Benjamin Franklin said it like this, If passion drives you, let reason hold the reins. It has to be balanced out with these things. In Hebrews 13.7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's three things he says there. Is remember, consider, and imitate. I'm reminded of Jonathan Edwards, who I believe is one of the spiritual heroes of the 17th century. And he says these things. He says this is his pilgrimage. And he says this about um, the Christian pilgrim. He says this, The enjoyment of Him, meaning God, is our highest happiness and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, and children are the company of any and all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. These two words I say over and over again, passion for God must include passion for His Word. The tendency for most Christians is to hurry along, get overburdened at times, and we just read through the Bible, but God wants us to be completely exposed to it by reading the Word, but meditating on it so that we can absorb it. Paul was talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15, and he says this, he says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Over and over again, I believe it's in this place where we find this relationship fully passionate for God. Just like he was telling Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. In fact, in the New American Standard says it like this on that second verse. Play a, pay a close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. See, as we, get, we are passionate about Him, passionate about His Word, it flows out of that. As we get on fire for God, that fire begins to start flames everywhere around us. So I'm going to say just these quick those four little things that will help us in this area. The first thing is this. Well, let me say this. The definition of lukewarm is serving God in such a way that we do not offend the devil. That's what lukewarmness is. Four things that will keep you passionate, keep the fire burning within your life. First is intimacy, my personal time with God. Nothing, nothing, and I say this as a pastor, nothing is, is more meaningful than my time with, with God. Ministry is not important, more important than intimacy. Intimacy must be the most important thing that I have, that relationship with God. Inside of that means reading the Word, it means praying, it means getting alone with Him. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite writers, he says this about prayer. He says, I would exhort those who have entertained a hope of their being true converts and, who's, and who since their supposed conversion have left off the duty of secret prayer and ordinarily allow themselves in the omission of it to throw away their hope. If you have left off calling upon God, it is time for you to leave off hoping and flattering yourself with any imagination that you are the children of God. Personal time with God. Getting alone with God. Getting away with God. 
That is in, in the, one of the most important things. The second thing is surrounding yourself with passionate people. If you surround your, yourself with people who are lukewarm, guess what? Those icicles are going to begin to come into your soul. Find passionate people. People who love God. People who are, 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 are seeking after God. People who love the Word. That's what you need. You surround yourself. That's why I surround myself with men like Chris. Because he is passionate about the Word constantly. And he wells it up within me. That I want more of it. And that's why we did this mentoring thing. And, and I'm surprised that more haven't involved themselves in this. Because this is a place where you can involve yourself. And you can root yourself in the Word of God constantly because maybe if you can't do it on your own and you need that little help this is the opportunity for that but the word of God must be important to our life that, and surrounding ourselves with passionate people the next thing is rest someone said to me the other day and I, I, I sent a text to somebody this week and told them they were busy and then they said I was calling the, the kettle black or something I don't remember what the whole story was but I, I, was, I got the message but the, and, and someone told me this last week, they said, you know, you run around after you retired like your, your hair is on fire. Uh, you know, I understand, I don't have any hair, that's probably why it's burned up. But the idea is though, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt, I have to find time alone with God. Last week, one day I just, I know and I, somebody says, don't go out there alone like that. I, I had to get into the back country and I just went by myself because I knew that I could pray, I could do whatever I needed to do in that place and I could yell, I could scream, I could cry out, I could do anything I needed to do with God and I needed that time alone to refresh myself. It was actually a time of rest to be in His presence. You need that. You can rest on that when you have fully rely upon Him, when you have given Him everything, when you have saturated yourself in prayer, when you have meditated upon the Word, when you've given Him everything, then you can rest and rely and trust in that place. The last thing is, John Maxwell said it like this, if, once you, if you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got. The bottom line is, is sometimes we need to change things up. See, change to me is like repentance. It's that place where even this morning, as these words circulate in our heart, that we can go, okay, God, forgive me. You know what? I need, I need to get in this place where I'm passionate about you once again, where I truly love you, where you are my first love, where I'm not looking at all these other loves and you're just one of them. You must be the most important thing. The dinner must be you and I alone. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love of others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, and other people they know and connect with. There's little love left over for those who cannot love them back, much less for those who intentionally slight them, whose kids are better athletes than theirs, or with whom conversations are awkward or uncomfortable. Their love is highly conditional and very selective, and generally comes with strings attached. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list 
this week's schedule and next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. Regarding this, C.S. Lewis wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verses 18 through 20. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 3, verse 2. Lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comforts and are rarely considering trying to give as much as possible to the poor. They're quick to point out, Jesus never said money is the root of all evil, only that the love of money is. Untold numbers of lukewarm people feel called to minister to the rich. Very few feel called to minister to the poor. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. They ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin instead of how can I keep myself pure as a temple of the Holy Spirit? They ask, how much do I have to give instead of how much can I give? They ask, how much time should I spend praying and reading my Bible instead of, I wish I didn't have to go to work so I could sit here and read longer. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. First Chronicles 29 verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Lukewarm people feel secure because they attend church, made a profession of faith at age 12, were baptized, come from a Christian family, vote Republican or live in America. Just as the prophets in the Old Testament warned Israel that they were not safe, just because they lived in the land of Israel. So we are not saved just because we wear the label Christian or because some people persist in calling us a Christian nation. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. 
lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured out and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. You can leave the lights off. You can off them. The lie this morning is God is happy with whatever little bit you can give Him. The lie this morning is that I can just take Him along on the ride. God is happy just as long as I give Him my, that little bit. The lie is, no, He's not. He's not happy. He's not content to be second fiddle in your life. He wants to be number one. Every week, I seek the heart of God. I don't come in here with just any message. I come every week with hopefully a message that God has birthed within me and I know His conviction was on me as I was... I, I found myself in several places of what He was talking about lukewarm people. I said, Lord, that's me. I can't believe the lie any longer. I have to give Him everything. It's an all or nothing proposal. I want you to know this morning, we are the bride of Christ. He wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want 99%. He wants everything. He does not want to share you with another. He desires intimacy with you like you will never dream of. But the question this morning is, is what will we do with it? Will we just sit back and continue to drift along? Or will we go, God, I need that. I need that passion. I need that fire in my life. Change me. Mold me. Shape me. Lord, I'm yours. This morning, that's the cry of my heart. I know this, that as I listened to it over again, I found myself immediately wanting to say, God, I got to get to the altar. I need to get it right. I need to get it. I need to be passionate before you. I need everything that you want from me. I cannot go on and be half-hearted. I cannot share you. I cannot share anything. But I have to have just you and me. This morning, if that's your cry, I'm going to ask you to come.
I'm going to ask you to come and just begin to cry out to God. This morning, the, oh, I'm not talking about passion that you can stir up within you. I'm talking about a passion that only His fire can give. Only His Holy Spirit can give. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there before. You've had it. But God's saying, listen, this is the time. This is the hour. Come back to that place with me. Come back to that passion with me. Love on me. Make me number one. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.